one of my poems. And then we'll see where we go. It's always kind of a mystery journey. You know. It's called A Long Lineage. Looking into the landscape, the hidden landscape of our underground world, talking endlessly about our own nothingness. And of course, these places going nowhere. Remembering this lineage, asking us simply to sit in our seat. No longer sneaking out the window, hoping that it would turn out better. Only to remind ourselves the only small triumph here, the only small triumph here is to stay in your seat. The great yogis of old surrendered to this great world, never giving up their seat, breaking the bonds of their storytellers, freeing themselves at last. So I thought I would just start a little story here because um, I'm only going to tell a piece of it, but it's really um, about the fundamentals of uh, how, uh, at least my life, and how we get trapped sometimes and uh, thinking somehow that we have means to get out of how and who we are. So the story goes, and it's funny because this uh, last Wednesday was uh, it's called Vesak, Vesak, which is the uh, it's the kind of the grandest of all Buddhist in all uh, Southeast Asia and uh, the, the great. Um, uh, it's somewhat a holiday, but it's also kind of a religious. Um, you know, uh, respect that they carry for uh, on the full moon of May, uh, the Buddha was, um, they say, uh, was born, and I have to say, under a tree. Uh, he uh, was then uh, enlightened under a tree. He uh, supposedly gave his first Dharma talk under a tree. And he also died under two sal trees, which for me, some reason, and also even here's another piece of it that's great, is that after his enlightenment, he went and sat by the Bodhi tree and spent one week communing with that tree. You know, and so it really says the Dharma is really, it is uh, the foundations here are nature and his honoring of uh, nature and uh, kind of, I always think of, uh, you know, when he was confronted by the most difficult of the, um, they call Mara the tempter, that um, he took and he touched the earth. He really touched Gaia and uh, said, as the earth is my witness, uh, through all my lives, 
Uh, he uh, struggled in his goodness uh, to free himself uh, from, uh, from bonds. And at that, actually, uh, Mara pulled back. And the Buddha then experienced uh, what we know today is something that we are actually uh, still affected by 2,600 years later, uh, his, uh, his release. You know. So as part of this story, I wanted to just, uh, I thought of, um, you know, I started, I've been doing this uh, 50 years, you know, it's a long time. And, uh, you know, when I first, uh, I remember uh, I was 15 years old when I, my mother first took me to Thailand and, and um, I was so impressed. And it was really at one of the temples there in the old city called Wat Po, and there's a, a big reclining Buddha. And uh, I was so touched by it that somehow, uh, even though I, I just, I'd been in Japan and saw the temples there, that somehow there was, a, it was maybe just the grandeur of that, uh, of that, uh, which very revered uh, kind of statue, you know, of the reclining Buddha who at that point uh, was preparing for death. There was also, in the morning, uh, there would be the lines of um, these orange-clad, barefoot beings uh, walking through, the, in the early morning, the streets. And they say that, you know, the Buddha, uh, actually, when he finally got it, that there was uh, what they call the messengers, that there was actually... Um, you know, there was uh, illness, uh, there was old age, and uh, there was death. Uh, but also, and they called them the four messengers, and the fourth messenger was a mendicant uh, who was walking by. And he was that inspiration that was deep in there in this uh, kind of, um, uh, sometimes I think a, a multiple human being who had experienced so many things uh, throughout and yet was protected, but also had the wisdom to understand uh, how this happens. You know. So I take you to the Himalayas up about 12,000 feet on Besak on the full moon. And, um, you know, in my early days, I was kind of fiery, and, um, and there was kind of reasons. Uh, I, I was always seemed to be climbing mountains, you know, of some kind. Uh, and, and, of course, this practice is also, in a way, symbolically a mountain. And I got up, way up on this mountain, uh, where the, actually where there are like glacier, glacier faces, and there was a big storm of snow and uh, all the things that come with that. 
and the cold. And I couldn't find shelter and I ended up under a rock. And uh, the experience of being under that rock, and by then I'd been in India for many years. I had been to, you know, I'd spent one year and a half at one point with a jola, a bag, and a blanket just traveling around India from kind of ashram to ashram. And this is just the early 70s, just I first came in the 60s. And, and um, you know, I never planned on coming back to the West. That was just kind of out of my, uh, it's like, why would I want to do that? You know, I'd just gone crazy there. And so um, I got caught, you know, and uh, that night uh, I had, uh, I had all, every kind of mantra and prayer and, uh, that I had kind of absorbed uh, over time. And I tried everything, you know. But uh, in the end, none of it worked, you know. And what I noticed was very simple, that uh, when there was a moment of uh, fear, I would pull back. And it happened to me when I pulled back, I hit my head on a rock, a wet rock. Uh, it was uh, part of this where I would kind of hunker down in. And then, so there was one, one piece about the, then the, the simply the grasping and I would pull back and kind of hit my head. And then I would, um, I hadn't, uh, one of the things I hadn't done, I hadn't talked to my father for years and years. And, and I took, uh, you know, the, the draft had come after me and I had escaped to uh, Asia and disappeared and uh, was hoping to be nobody for the rest of my life. And uh, so, but one of the things was I still had this kind of pain in there. So I would write, I would sit there and I began to write him a letter, you know, oh, I'm so sorry, you know. And what would happen is I would lean forward. And as I leaned forward, then uh, water uh, came off of this, there's a little just indention, not much bigger than where I'm kind of sitting here, if it was just like this. And I would lean forward because suddenly I would recognize that I was not in the center. And I would move forward and then water would run down my face. You know, kind of, whoa. Wake me up back to here where I was. And so actually all night long I kept going through this, um, you know, uh, this movement of pushing away and not accepting and then making up fantasy. And then in the fantasy, I would fall forward and then again, nature would say, hello in there, you know, and, uh, and wake me up, you know. So it was a great, it was a, a, actually a great learning, you know. And then at that point, I realized, you know, I had, uh, you know, I spent, I spent nine years with S.N. Goenka, you know, and I, I really, and there were so many things and so many Tibetans that I had uh, kind of hung with and, and um, you know, I had such a cadre of things. But I'm not, a, I'm not an intellectual. I, 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 you know, I, I do, I 
just remember my name. That's about as far as it goes, you know. And I'm, I'm dyslexic and, uh, and ADHD. And, you know, I'm kind of like the big learning mistake, you know. And, um, and so I really needed to kind of find something that was so fundamental. And some of the, some of the you know, when I took robes uh, in the Sunday Burmese tradition, they had to put a monk behind me because I couldn't even recite the 292 rules. I couldn't, you know, I just couldn't remember anything. I still can't, you know. It's just the way my mind works, you know. And so in my kind of, well, what do you do with it? What do you, where do you go with this? And, and these practices are fundamentally, you know, you don't have to be some brilliant star at this. All you have to do is have the dedication. Uh, really, that's what it is, the dedication. And I think sometimes, uh, if I can say, the suffering. The suffering that ignites you uh, to have the desire uh, to be free, you know. So when I came back to America, um, um, I remember in '79 I was at a retreat with uh, my friends Joseph Goldstein, who I traveled with long time in Asia, and Jack Cornfield, and, and they asked me to teach. And I remember saying, no way. You know, that, that's just completely out of my, uh, you know. And also, I have to say, you know, I was uh, early. I was a born-again Buddhist, you know, and I, I very orthodox. And so I didn't believe that as a Western lay person, I should teach or anyone should teach, you know. Uh, it was just, you know, part of the, th that that had been passed down to me on a certain level, you know. And uh, even at the time, you know, I loved Joseph and, and Jack, and I've taught with them, and, you know. Um, but at the time, that's where I was at. And I remember I said, maybe when I'm 55, you know, I'll start teaching. I said, I didn't know, but they were... Uh, well, it was just those years, you know. And I'm glad they kind of... I, I, there's, you know, sometimes Joseph used to have this thing, if there's a tree that's, you know, there's the straight tree that's so perfect, and, and uh, they come and they take it out of the forest and cut it into lumber and use it for everything. And then there's the tree that's all twisted and, and has all these knots and everything, and they leave it because it's, uh, it has no use. And so, in a way, I'm kind of like that twisted tree in some way. So, uh, but I found that there was some really simple practices, you know. And one of the beauties this winter, I was at uh, the Venerable's uh, Ajahn Chah's. And just, you know, he had a stroke. He was in a wheelchair. I saw his wheelchair and stuff for 10 years and all this. And uh, the year before that, I'd been up to... Uh, his teacher was Ajahn Moon, and then before that was Ajahn Tsao. And it was this lineage of, of um, you know, uneducated, 
uh, wise uh, beings, you know. Uh, Ajahn Moon, they say you couldn't even find, he was just like a forest, he was a forest dweller who kind of just moved around, kind of like the, what we know, the stories of the yogis in India. And uh, it was very hard to find. Actually, Ajahn Chah met him, and, and it was, he only met him for three days. You know, and the guy disappeared again, you know. Um, but he got it, you know. So I, I'm just going to read some of the pieces because I have so much respect for uh, some of the, the most basic fundamental teachings um, that came down. The first from Ajahn Moon Bharirata, who uh, was uh, Ajahn Chah's teacher. And the only thing he ever, he wrote a poem in, in, when he was living in Bangkok that was 27 pages long uh, on uh, why um, what they call the five aggregates or the five streams or the, uh, the, why uh, you, better get, you better get off it, you know. And, and get over it, you know. But anyway, this is a famous quote, but it, it's, it really, to me, it always kind of exemplifies something about uh, the tradition and uh, uh, what we try to teach, okay? It goes, In your investigation of the world, never allow the mind, never allow the mind to desert the body. Examine its nature, see the elements that comprise it, see the impermanence, the suffering, the selflessness of the body while sitting, standing, walking, or lying down. When its true nature is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. The wonders of the world will become clear. In this way, purity of mind can shine forth, timeless, timeless and delivered. So, in this way, the purity of the mind can shine forth, timeless and delivered. So, uh, Ajahn Chah, you know, it's interesting with the ties and stuff. Um, they have such reverence, you know. But you also, I, one of the things about uh, he, his monastery in Wanapachat, they're in a um, district called Isan, and Isan is right on the border of Laos. And so actually, the, I, I've heard Jack talk about, about during the war, that when we uh, decimated um, Lao um, and the bombings. It, you could hear it all night long, kind of the, the bombs uh, exploding, you know. And um, it's the poorest, it's southeast, the poorest part of Thailand. So it's just, it's rice farmers. But um, also, we see this a lot of times that in, in very many areas like that. The sense of devotion is unquestionable, you know, and they've seen poverty and they've, they are. There's poverty and, and you know, uh, things are so dependent on whether the rains come or not. And, um, 
And yet, um, you know, that was uh, where he chose. He chose to hang. You know. So I have some things I just want to read of his because they are. Uh, just do it with my glasses. Did I disappear? I would like that. Oh, they fell down here. It's okay. <laughs> this normal state. So this is normal state for the venerable. You will see that when the heart-mind is unattached, it is abiding in its normal state. When it stirs from normal because of various thoughts and feelings, the process of thought construction takes place in which solutions are created. Learn to see through the process. When the mind has stirred from the normal, what he calls normal, it leads away from right practice to one of the extremes of indulgence or aversion thereby creating more illusion, more thought construction. Good or bad only arise in your mind. If you keep a watch on your mind, study this one your whole life, I guarantee that you will never be bored. <laughs> so, that's kind of normal, what he calls normal. Uh, just sitting in the center of things and uh, not being pulled or pushed. So there isn't the hitting of the rock or the moving into fantasy and having water run down your face. You know. So I have a, a series of things I want to read because it kind of completes the thing and it's just uh, really about this, what, what he uh, described as taking the one seat you know, which you're all sitting in and on and always have been. Just go into the room and put one chair in the center. Take the seat in the center of the room. Open, this is important, open the doors and windows and see who comes to visit. You will witness all kinds of scenes and actors, all kinds of temptations and stories, Everything, everything imaginable. Your only job is to stay in your seat. You will see it all arise and pass, and out of this, wisdom and understanding will come. Again, the venerable. So, one seat in the middle of the room, and... One of the descriptions here is when they say the, the windows and the doors, that the, the door is considered, the, in Buddhist psychology, they're kind of the six senses. And uh, so the mind uh, is the door, and the five windows are the senses. And the idea here is, is he says, just keep them open. You know. Now, what we do know is, of course, incredible jugglers and clowns and great stories and 
uh, are going to come visit, you know. But our job, our job is stay in your seat. Don't go out the window. Don't go out the door. Stay. Because if you go out, you can only go so far. You know, there's an a old Tibetan um, kind of uh, out of the suttas about a little bird on a boat. And this boat is way out at sea. And uh, the bird, of course, uh, wants to go look for land. The only problem is there is no land. So the bird always flies off looking for land, gets tired, and has to come back. You know. And it's the same with us sitting here. No matter what kind of storytelling uh, you manufacture, you have to come back here. You know, it's just the way it is. Whether you go out the window or the door uh, for some sense experience or some memory or thought uh, or imagination, you will only end up back on the ship back here. As I see it, the mind is like a single point, the center of the universe. The mental states are like visitors who come and stay at this point for a short or long time. Get to know these visitors well and become familiar with the pictures they paint. The alluring stories they tell to entice you to follow them. But do not give up your seat. It is the only chair around. If you continue to occupying it unceasingly, greeting, and this is important, greeting each guest as it comes. So every thought, every discomfort, uh, every memory, every imagination, you know. I think sometimes of, of this process of, uh, I, I love bowing, you know. And uh, one of the things when you're a monk, you know, uh, even if, you're, if, you're, if someone is ordained an hour before you, you always have to bow to them. So you go around, you kind of have to bow to everything because everybody, you know, it's a, it's a kind of lovely thing. Uh, if you see it as, as something uh, to honor and a, a kind of uh, a natural humility there. Greeting each guest as it comes, firmly establishing yourself in awareness, transforming your mind, transforming your mind into the one who knows, the one who is awake. The visitors will eventually stop coming back. And if you give them real attention, how many times can these visitors return? Speak with them here, and you will know every one of them well. Then your mind will at last be at peace. You got it? You know, it's, I mean, this is, this is like, there's such basic instructions. It's like, don't get lost, you know. Stay here, you know. It's okay, you don't have to shut everything out. You can, the idea here is just, it just, it's like let it pass through, you know, and go, oh, hi, and it'll come and it'll go. You know, it may come again, you know, but your only job is to simply stay here, you know.
This is the Buddha's firm and unshakable awareness that watches over and protects the mind. You're sitting right here. Since the moment you emerged from the womb, every visitor that has ever come to call has arrived right here. No matter how often they come, they always come to the same spot, right here. Knowing them all, the Buddha's awareness sits firm, firm and unshakable. Simply know who the guests are as they arrive. Once they dropped by, they will find there is only one chair. And as long as you're occupying it, they will have nowhere to sit down. <laughs> Next time they come, there will also be no chair free. No matter how many times these chattering visitors show up, they always meet the same person sitting in the same spot. There is only one seat, and you're sitting in it. How long do you think they will continue to put up with this situation? <laughs> Everyone and everything you've ever known since you began to experience the world will come for a visit. You notice that? Yeah. Simply observing and being aware right here is enough to see the entire Dharma. No. So, and this is really not, it's not difficult in that way. It's just that, you know, that peace around grasping and imagining, you know. There's such powerful forces and that we also um, believe them uh, so fully that somehow they will either, either they make our lives or change our lives or uh, worsen it or better it in some ways. And this is not about that. You know, this is really this practice of being able to kind of sit uh, in the center of yourself and ultimately not being bothered, you know? And I know sometimes it's really hard with the, you know, uh, sometimes when you're really sleepy and you kind of drift off or you have a pain in your body and, you know, it brings up all your resistance and, uh, and your, uh, they really are your abilities that you learned uh, how to dissociate to move away from. Sometimes, uh, you know, I remember one year I was sitting in Burma and, and um, God, they sat me up front and these were, there were probably about 40 of them and, uh, you know, they, they I, I think they just, uh, they were just pretzeled from birth, you know? And we'd sit an hour and a half or two and, and uh, you know, after about an hour and a half uh, and I would be, I'm a, I'm a good boy. So I would sit there and I, I, I wouldn't move and then I would start hurting. And I would, it was just incredibly uh, painful. And at the same time, I had this thing as the only foreigner there um, that somehow, you know, and also they knew I was a teacher in the West and that uh, I had um, 
uh, something, you know, it's like something to prove or, or something like that, that, you know, I mean, we have that sometimes here. It's kind of a little, it's, I think it's called competitiveness on some level, you know? Oh, he's walking, I should keep walking like that. And Oh, he's still up, maybe I should stay up. You know, it's like, we're great at this, you know? And... Um, And I, I sat there, and um, it was actually excruciating, a lot of it. And one of the wonderful things I'll tell you about something that happened to me. I, I was, uh, uh, I was, um, what? Um, yeah, I tell it because I tell it. I was brought up in El Salvador and uh, Guatemala, and, and my first language was actually uh, Kichikali, you know, which was uh, a Mayan uh, language and dialect, and my nursemaid was Mayan. And um, mother wasn't so into mothering. And um, they brought me to the States, and um, they... Uh, I stopped speaking completely. So they thought I was uh, at that. If you start speaking and then you stop, in those years, you were considered autistic. So I was put in a school for autistic children, you know, which, by the way, was probably a great precursor. And I didn't speak for a year, so it was probably my first retreat. <laughs> you know, you know. You know, and um, no, I do believe that. It was like, oh, and I think also those autistic children taught me so much uh, about maybe this simpleness that, uh, and the uncomplexity of uh, how and who we are, you know. And then at that point, I was sent to, put on a plane, sent to a Swiss boarding school at six, you know, where I kind of lived my life, and uh, uh, I came to the States for a year and a half, which I learned everything about America in that year and a half, and the rest of the time I, I was in Europe. Now, why was I telling this? I don't actually remember exactly. <laughs> but the ideals, you know, somehow that uh, we, we all have been confused or suffered and uh, we carry all this stuff. And when I was sitting in Burma, uh, I was sitting there and, and it was probably nine days, 10 days, 12 days into this, um, and I was pushing myself, uh, I suddenly for a moment uh, felt this incredible pain. It was just like a flash. And in that flash was uh, uh, being hit in boarding school, which I was hit a lot, by the way. So it suddenly it came up, and it was this whole process of realizing the kind of how I buried it so deep in the cells of my body 
you know. And that uh, suddenly uh, it came, I, it was amazing, it kind of came to the surface and I watched how I, you know, I suddenly re-experienced it and let go, you know. And it really was the first thing I, I really experienced, the power of this practice of just sitting there, how it can untangle um, things you have no idea about and that are buried uh, sometimes in you uh, that uh, are not conscious, but still you act out of on some level, you know. And so that's where I come from. I, I actually completely am convinced uh, of this. That's why I teach it, because I know it works, you know. So, there's a, a, another piece of this I wanted to bring up. So that's that piece. I hope uh, you you really get this. That you don't. It doesn't have to be anything. But all you have to do is just sit there, you know, and and make the res There's a resolve of uh, you know, um, uh, you know, move as little as possible, quiet the system down because what it is is there's a. You're, you're like this multiple layers uh, of, um, you know, sometimes of, I know the surface is just, it's amazing. It's like the amount of uh, kind of how it's stirred up by all the culture and the waves and the, uh, the digital reality and the news and the, uh, all the options and uh, it just stirs up all the surface. You know, so we have no chance of seeing clearly. And we come to this practice, we come to this practice for a specific reason. And first of all, unfortunately, it's kind of like a car wreck. Excuse me, not that. But it is, it's kind of like a car wreck. It's like uh, you just hit a wall, you know. Sometimes it's tiredness, sometimes it's just uh, the culture, uh, sometimes it's old stories, sometimes it's, it's just uh, pains that you bring. And that uh, they come and, and first of all, uh, they have to be acknowledged. You know, I, I see you. I see you, you know. And so if you don't acknowledge it, you sit here and it'll keep, it'll keep, uh, keep informing you, by the way. Um, uh, but in the meantime, even in doing that, if you keep acknowledging it, then there's actually this possibility of dropping down below the surface of things and begin this process of kind of letting all that, all the churning. And I know, you know, you get down and a lot of us have uh, old, 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 um, old histories that are currents. And even though they're not part of the surface, they're currents and they come along and they push and pull us, you know. But my encouragement to you is, uh, you know, it's gonna push and pull you. But when you say hello, I see you, I know you, you know. Sometimes you have to feel the, the, um, 
the pain of that current moving through because it, it came from somewhere, you know? And so we kind of have to let it come and, and in sense, uh, inform us and we have to feel it and know it and greet it. And that uh, if we do that, then it can let go and we can move on. And then we can go underneath that. Now, ultimately, uh, I, I'm not saying there are many levels to this, but the practice is ultimately getting under that. And getting under that, we begin to come to a place. And the only way I can talk about it is uh, they talk about it as the two truths. There is our relative world that we inhabit and that is a dualistic world that is, um, you know, it, uh, it carries all the past and future suffering, you know. But there is a relative and then there is uh, what I'm going to call the unconditioned. And these two truths are, we work particularly with the relative here so that we can like calm the whole sucker down and kind of take some of the, the old poison and, and the, sometimes the confusion out. But there's another piece to this. And uh, it is simply the unconditioned. And the unconditioned is not something. You know, it's something that exists uh, and the wounding, uh, it never damaged it. You know, it in itself was uh, fine. You know. And so on some level, then we have to go, oh, wait, I, can I kind of turn my attention? And I'll use this language, kind of the, the sky of mind. And, and one of the descriptions is there is uh, this... Uh, Today, this incredible blue sky, right? And um, because of the relative nature of our myoptic seeing, is uh, we only see the clouds. You know, it's like only seeing our stories, only seeing the kind of the manufacturing of the. Uh, the dualism of myself and other, the I, me, mine, you know. And yet, this sky of mind uh, is completely, uh, it, it has never been damaged. So it also says you are not damaged goods. I, I like this, you know. You're not damaged goods. Uh, you are that unconditioned world is actually what the Buddha was actually pointing at ultimately. I always think of it as, you know, we, we one of the descriptions, and I use this as a simplistic description, not perfect because none of these things are, is there's a pendulum, not pendulating, like, like Peter Levine was talking about. This is just a pendulum that swings back and forth and there is a zero point in the center of things. And that zero point actually uh, is where peace is. 
and what the Buddha was pointing at. But due to our conditioning, uh, that uh, we are, in a sense, um, I can use the word, uh, addicted to uh, the charge. And the charge is that uh, pleasure, let's do this one to 10, our goal is to take it up to 10. And on the other side of that pendulum is one to 10 of uh, discomfort. And we do everything we can to not, we don't even want one, you know. We just want, let's put it on 10 and leave it there. But that's not the way this all works, you know. Actually, the pendulum moves and how in the, we don't even know how. You know, we can use the word karma or whatever, but the thing just swings, you know. One moment it's okay and the next moment it's like shit, you know. And, and I didn't do anything particularly, you know, and, and wait a minute, how does this work? And, 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 and we get so wrapped up in controlling, and this is a wonderful thing that we're different than turkeys. We have the ability uh, to, that was bad, okay, anyway, kind of control what we think is our destiny on some level by, uh, if we use all of our willpower to keep that pleasure thing up and all of our willpower to keep it. And so what, what are we doing? We're constantly in war with what is good and what is bad. And so we're constantly pushing and pulling this thing. You get it? You know, this is what we're up to, you know? And the Buddha was saying, hey, wait, hold it. There is this zero point. The problem is it has no charge, zero charge. So how in the hell does a normal person, unless they do this kind of thing, can actually get an inkling that it's there? They say it has to be pointed out, that that, that zero point's there. And uh, I believe on some level it's true, it has to be pointed out. But. Uh, by pointing it out, it also says this, the unconditioned, this really open sky of mind, which holds all things, you know. And uh, in essence, uh, everything moves through it, but it itself is perfectly in balance, you know. And so, in a way, if we can begin to recognize that, that once we kind of get below all the crap and kind of siphon it out here somewhat, that we can begin to relax and see that, oh, there's something that's holding me, you know? And it's not a thing, you know? It's maybe the, the isness, you know, the suchness of things. And it, and it holds all things. And can I teach myself to relax, to actually relax uh, into uh, the sky of mind, you know. And I can't say it's sky of mind, because it's actually a sky, mind, heart, you know. Because ultimately, it understands. Unfortunately, when you really begin to understand this, you understand the suffering nature of the whole relative reality. You know, it's the whole thing, you know. And so there's a natural... 
uh, from Sky of Mind. There's a natural uh, empathy that says, oh, you know, uh, I may have maybe teaching myself to be free of suffering, but suffering exists. It's, it is the, the relative reality of the I, me, mine of things. You know, and then uh, we begin to work with this, you know. You got it? You know, no, I'm, I'm not, uh, this is, you know, this is kind of a big deal, you know. And to get the, to start to say, oh, you know, I am the zero point. I am, I am the freedom, you know. It holds my past, you know. Uh, but I'm, I'm more than my past. I'm more than the construction of uh, kind of time. Because uh, that unconditioned is not about time. It's simply about something that uh, is here. It is, is something always with you, you know. looking into the hidden landscape of our underground world, talking endlessly about our own nothingness, and of course, going nowhere. Remembering this lineage, asking us to simply stay in our seat. No longer sneaking out of the window, hoping that it would turn out better. Only to remind ourselves the only small triumph here is staying in our seat. The great yogis of old surrendered to this great world, never, never giving up their seat, breaking the bonds of their storyteller. Free, free at last. So let's just take a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.